Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 489 with Bob Anderson. Bob has done a boatload of research on leadership, feedback, effectiveness, and he's boiled down a lot of yummy insights. You'll learn, one, the surprising source of highly accurate feedback, two, the two leadership operating systems, and three, powerful questions for unlocking your leadership potential. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F489. And if you're visiting awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you also sign up for the Gold Nugget email list, which provides the summary wisdom from Bob in an email you can read in two to three minutes and also access to these summary wisdom write-ups from every guest we've ever had. Cool stuff. That's the Gold Nuggets. Now, here's Bob's story. Robert J. Anderson has been a pace setter in the field of leadership development for over 30 years. He's the founder, chairman, and chief development officer of the Leadership Circle and the Full Circle Group and the co-author of Scaling Leadership and Mastering Leadership. Bob created the Leadership Circle Profile, a 360-degree assessment used by organizations worldwide to measure the effectiveness of their leaders individually and collectively, chart a pathway for their development, and assess their progress as they develop. The MECO Leadership Institute awarded him the International Thought Leader of Distinction in 2018. Big thanks to Bob for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Bob. Bob, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. Well, I would love to hear, first of all, I understand you went ahead and got your pilot's license. What is the backstory here? Well, the backstory was I was trying to figure out how to be a consultant on the road and be home at the same time. (laughs) So those are two competing commitments, right? Success in both arenas. So I uh, decided to learn to fly a little airplane and I bought a beach bonanza and got an instrument rating and I could fly in most weather and it allowed me to get places and get home sooner. That's cool. So you will actually fly your own plane to like speaking engagements and such. I don't anymore. I did for a number, a good number of years, but I've, I've given it up. As I get busy, I don't have as much time to really stay current. You know, I was actually thinking about doing this, but I was like, oh, Pete, that's probably not actually going to save you real time once you get into whatever. But uh, but your experience was, yes, you saved lots of time because you're flying your own plane. There were times that I was home for dinner when I wouldn't have been otherwise, and there were times when I was not due to weather. So I finally... I said, you know, I'm not sure this is working as well as I thought. You need a lot of airplane to be able to get there in in difficult weather. 
Understood. So we could take 40 minutes on that. <laughs> <laughs> the ins and outs of aircraft. That's yeah. a skill you need. For, for listeners who are considering getting a pilot's license in their own airplane for your travels, we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yes. But we're not. That uh, is for another show. Uh, you might get some invitations. So I want to hear, you've done some impressive research into leadership. And so I, I want to dig into it. So, so your team, I understand, has surveyed over a million leaders around the world. Can you tell us a bit about that research and, and maybe the most striking discovery you gained from that? Well, I created a leadership assessment 360 years ago. And it goes much broader and deeper than most 360s, and we can get into some of that. But we've probably given feedback to 150, 160,000 leaders around the world with the leaders that report to them providing feedback. So that gives us a database of 1.5 million and growing to do research with. And one of the nicest research databases in the world, probably, on leadership. And so we can research that nine ways from Sunday. One of the things that struck us, which was why we wrote Scaling Leadership, we did this research project on all the written comments. So we asked uh, the raters, the people providing feedback, to write in, you know, what's this person's greatest strengths or assets and what are their liabilities and so on. And the data blew us away and with the precision that uh, with which leaders see the people that they work with and how poignantly they can describe it and how directly those written comments match to the quantitative feedback. So if you write in, Bob is an arrogant SOB. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're going to see that uh, a high score on arrogance, right? So the match, we saw just a kind of surprising match. Our statisticians were actually stunned by it between things people said in writing and then how the quantitative came out. I don't, maybe I'm not capturing why that's impressive. If wouldn't we expect that to be the case? I think what we saw in that was that as a leader, you're in a feedback rich environment. We used to think you had to go set that up. Let's go create a feedback rich environment so leaders can really grow, which is critical. Feedback is the breakfast of champions, right? And so we realized that you're all, you're breathing in it. You swim in it. It's all around you. It's the air you breathe. You're, there's feedback-rich environment all around you. The question is, do you actually tap it? Do you harvest it? Do you listen? Do you go out and seek it? Most don't. It's an acquired taste, and most would prefer not to go there because it can be strong medicine. If you really ask how you're showing up as a leader, and um, people see you in action, and they see you with uh, real accuracy. Okay, so I, I guess that's sort of the, the takeaway there is mm -hmm. that folks who would just sort of pipe up with their feedback, you know, if, if you asked them and they were willing to give it to you, then you could probably feel pretty good that that's, that's accurate as opposed to kind of off base or, or, or you won't get it unless we have sort of a, a scoring system to get it. Yeah. Exactly. And all right, I'm hearing you. Well, that's great news, I suppose, is that if you if you want if you want the feedback, you can get it, uh, or or at least they know it. <laughs> you know, they, whether or not they care to share right. with you and you care to listen, I guess are, right. are the challenges. Right. So, okay, so that you say you've got kind of a full blown framework and and kind of architecture there when it comes to you know, defining. Yeah 
leadership. And, and so you talk a lot about high creative versus high reactive. Can you unpack a little bit of, of that idea? Yeah, the basic principle, oh, one of them that underlies our work is that the there's a inner game and an outer game, and you're playing both all the time. Outer game of your knowledge, your experience, your competency, skills. Uh, you bring that to the to every every meeting you're in as a leader, and you're honing that game all the time. And it's really an important game. And if you don't play it well, you wash out. So that's you're working that all the time. What you're also what's running that game is your inner game, your operating system, if you will. So the level of maturity in that operating system drives the ways you show up in your outer game and the kind of, and, and what you have access to in terms of behaviors and capabilities in the, in the moment and what you may not have access to. And that drives effectiveness in highly charged, complex situations in which leaders find themselves all the time. So a reactive leader, their inner game typically is authored by others. About 75% of adults will have an inner operating system that's authored by others, meaning I tend to be pursuing my objectives in a what Larry Wilson called a play-not-to-lose game. I'm trying to move forward and not lose face. So what I'm not aware of is that the fear uh, that's running me and the assumptions underneath that. So I talked about the leader who's overly cautious and deferential. The inner game that they're playing is, you define me, and I'm defined by how much you like me and the, qual- and the, the kind of harmony in our relationship. So not to be accepted is not to be. I lose myself if you don't see me as a good, likable, somebody who's a team player and so on. Somebody else might have a similar equation, but opposite. So I might define myself as results. My results, my power to drive results is me. That makes me valuable. And so I'm always running the show. And there are times when that's really helpful. And there are times when you need to back off, let others learn, grow, take responsibility, delegate, so on. But the more your sense of worth and security and safety is tied up and the results always have to be so perfect and stellar all the time, the less latitude you have to really allow people to learn and grow with you. And that impacts both of these, impact your ability to scale your leadership, which is what the book was about. So if I'm running every meeting, there are limits to scale. If I'm not able to address the difficult issues and move them forward, my leadership has built-in limits to scale. And so that's a reactive operating system. It's outside in. The expectations of others long past and in my current environment are driving me in ways I'm not as much aware of as I need to be. So these beliefs and assumptions have me. They're running me. When you shift to the creative, that turns around. You start to notice them. You go, oh, I always make up that it's too risky for me to put my voice in the room with higher-ups or speak truth to power or let go, not take over the meeting, let the group find their own way or not have to impress uh, people with my ideas in every encounter. I can give more space now. And um, that's huge. When you can start to see your old operating system as just that, 
it's a set of assumptions I grew up with, but it's not necessarily how I want to show up in the moment. And then you have choice. And then what happens is you start to ask the question, well, what, how do I want to show up? Or what do I really want here? What am I really after in this moment or in my life or in my, as a leader? And you start to, what's now driving you is that question. What matters most? What matters most in terms of my life's purpose and vision? What matters most in terms of the organization that I believe in and I'm trying to create? What matters most in terms of this meeting, what we're trying to accomplish and get done in this meeting? Uh, that full spectrum is what's in focus now. And isn't that you don't have the fears, they're there, but you are now in a different relationship with them. They're just there. Okay, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm not sure. I know what I'm doing here. And you go forward anyway. And you go forward with more presence, more clarity, more authenticity, more flexibility in your behavior so you can listen or advocate your position as opposed to I'm always advocating my position or I'm always listening. <laughs> you have that kind of flexibility to move back and forth when to push, when not to push, when to take on a difficult issue. One to say, mm, better not right now. And so you get much more fluidity with the full bandwidth of what it takes to be effective in complex situations that leaders are in. In the reactive structure, you have limited bandwidth. You default to your reactive pattern or strategy under pressure. And that has built-in limits. So that's what we mean by a creative leader versus a reactive leader. Well, it's so that's intriguing. I can certainly see how, yes, I, I would certainly prefer to be a, a creative leader mm -hmm. as opposed to a reactive leader. But but you've gone ahead and, and, and gotten some real research that proves yep. that high creative leaders are, are, are way, way more effective. Can you can you speak to that? Yeah. Well we have on our there are assessment measures both, right? So and all the different variations we talked about uh, of reactive and then the inverse of that are the corollary to that in the creative so it's got like 29 to 30 dimensions on it of leadership and some are reactive some are creative so we have a pretty rich database of if you're more reactive in your leadership here's what it looks like if you're more creative in your leadership here's what kind of competence and capability you get access to and then we correlate that with measures of business performance in, in one of in one case and or leadership effectiveness measures, which are people perceiving you as either effective or ineffective. How effective do they perceive you? And the correlation on uh, creative leadership to perceived effectiveness as a leader by the people that lead is like 0.93. Hot dog. You know, one is a perfect correlation. <laughs> so 0.93 is about as high as you get in this kind of research. In other words, if you show up as a creative leader, people will see you as an effective leader. And the inverse of that is true on reactive, and it's a pretty good, strong inverse correlation to effectiveness. And business performance data follows that. So we have that, too, both in terms of what we see with anecdotally or, you know, with case studies, but also in the research where we can research, you know, we did a study we reported on Mastering Leadership where after the death of one of our clients, who was the president of the association for their industry, 
the industry took on an entire industry-wide study. It's a financial industry study on the relationship between uh, business performance and the, the culture, whether it be more uh, creative or reactive leadership culture in the organization. So, and they found uh, pretty stunning, like five times more performance from organizations that were more creative than the ones that were more reactive. But the year-over-year performance was about five-fold different. Well, they, these are striking results, and so I'm intrigued. So we talked about sort of the inner game in terms of you know what what it's like when you're experiencing and in in the grips of of being reactive versus you've got some more flexibility to be creative. Yeah. But could you maybe paint a bit of a picture for what are some of the the behaviors and activities and approaches of of a high reactive leader in in action versus a high yeah. creative leader in action? Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you one of my own. I can pick and choose here because I got the whole bandwidth. Most of us do. We did a 360 on ourselves as a firm, and we gave feedback to each other. And I got a really high score on arrogance and a pretty low score on cooperation or collaboration, which had impacts in other dimensions, but that was the primary pattern in the data and it shocked in fact i didn't see it coming and you have different breakout groups and so bill my co-author and and uh, or co-founders in this merger you know i put bill in the bosses category so i could see his scores because if we don't give boss anonymity everybody else gets anonymity but not the bosses so bill i see his scores and he scored me four and a half out of five on a five point scale four and a half out of five now i'm the statistician so i know that that's five standard deviation units above the mean right so i call him over i said and i'm my first move is to talk him out of his scores and he really didn't mean this and i said bill you gave me a four and a half out of five on arrogance and he goes yeah and i said well that's five standard deviation units above the mean you must see me as one of the most arrogant people in the world and he goes "Uh (laughs) uh-huh and i was like oh i wasn't laughing then it was that was hard i yeah he wasn't willing to back down and say well it's not like that it's really not and i got a lot of feedback from the team and uh and i made a commitment i said well two things one i'm choosing to collaborate more more and i want to know when i'm showing up arrogantly so i want your feedback real time when i show up in ways that shut down the conversation well a couple of years later i'm in it with bill on an issue and we're going back and forth and i'm right and i know i'm right and uh, he's wrong and it's not okay that he's wrong and i'm writing these emails he's not responding i'm writing the long history of why i'm right on this and uh, i'm not getting a response and i can tell he's probably pretty upset just in his silence and so i'm pretty scared about that because you got two founders that are having a pretty important and significant conflict and uh at some point i realized that my energy on this was all reactive and i was you you asked for behavior so it's like look let me tell you where you're, you're you're off here here's what you don't get uh and that kind of tone and energy of interaction both verbally and in writing and bill to his credit just didn't respond to that 
So I went out one day and I was working it. I said, okay, this, what's this got to do with me? And somewhere on a walk, I saw for the first time, I don't know how insights happen when they happen, but this one was huge. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, I'm defined by my ideas. Mm. My ideas are me. These books are me. <sighs> That's not true. I'm good with ideas, but I am not my ideas. So when you disagree with me or when there's real conflict about the core of some of these IP, RIP, well, I'm threatened now pretty fundamentally because I am my ideas. My ideas and my capability around ideas is me. And when you're reacting, can you sort of unpack a little bit? What does that sound like inside your brain? Sort of like your ideas are kind of under scrutiny or under attack. What is your brain saying? Well, if I listen to the silence door in my brain, on the surface, it's going, you're wrong and it's not okay that you're wrong. Look, who are you to challenge me? You don't really get it. There's that story. And so, and I'm in blame. This issue uh, is your doing and so that kind of that's the outer that's the way i'm showing up that's the weather i'm bringing to the conversation the inner conversation is something like it's not okay for me not to be seen as the smartest guy around or the most wise i need to be seen as wise more wise than you and but not too much wiser than you because then you'll reject me mm -hmm. or you'll ah. think of me as arrogant you'll you know so i i'm playing this inner game that i wasn't aware of i want to be smarter and wiser than you but i don't want you to see it right i want i want you to admire me as brilliant but not be put off by it so i need to modulate yeah i'm in it all the time and then i get threatened when i'm not seen that way and it's not okay and then it's like, okay, now I'm at risk. I'm losing my identity in ways I didn't ever realize was right in there. And this goes on in every meeting. And every one of us has these layers in us where we stake claim to our identity in one of three camps. It's either in relationship, I'm okay if you like and accept me and I'm seen as loyal and supportive, or results. I'm perfect. I'm perfect at getting results or my results and my success is me, my ambition to move up and status and this career that I've built is me. And so anything that threatens that edifice is not okay. And I need to swing into gear, take it over, attack back, push away, let you know why you're wrong. I mean, or so relationship results, ideas, your intellect. So head, heart, and will are the three core energies. It's like electron, proton, and neutron. They're the three core energies. And we define ourselves, I'm really good at this, and this makes me valuable. And you'll see it. You got two-year-old. You got two kids below two, right? He said, you'll see it. They're different. They'll come in. They come in with different, mm -hmm. I think, souls and soul energy, different. And they will take their unique gift and strength and say this is me and i have i have one child who's all heart this teddy bear loving caring and uh, yeah his 
natural orientation is to be pleasing. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's a limitation if you start to identify that I'm not okay. I have to be seen this way and I'm not okay if I'm not. So risking relationship becomes a problem. And I got another son that's the other side. It's about drive to make things happen. And that's a beautiful thing. And when I, at some point, when I uh, get into more complex leadership roles, that ambitious drive, controlling tendency can be an issue. And so it isn't that reactive is wrong. It's actually a strength that I'm running through a less mature operating system. It's like I'm trying to run my gifts and strength through DOS. I remember DOS. Yeah. (laughs) Some Some of our listeners may not, but it's not complex enough for what we're into. And that's the issue. There's nothing wrong with it. 75% of adults are living in this operating system, which is, you know, like what we're socialized into. And then with the volatile, complex, ambiguous, fast-paced, disrupted leadership environment that we find ourselves in, uh, that operating system, it just gets outmatched. And we have to be able to manage it. And as soon as we start to see, oh, I'm not my ideas, well, then I can listen to you. And I can notice when I'm getting defensive. Oh, here I am again. Huh. Okay, let me just keep listening. Tell me more about that. Oh, okay, well, now here's where I disagree with that. And it's a whole different energy. And so when I got done with, this is the shift. So I got done with that awareness with Bill. And I said, I started to laugh. Because I went, all oh, this time I've been thinking about Bill as the arrogant jerk. And I'm the one who's the arrogant jerk. Isn't that pretty uh, funny? So I was laughing about it at this point. I go back to the home. I get on my computer. And I write him three sentences. Bill, I've been wrong. And furthermore, I've been wrong in the partnership for a while, for years. And I'm ready to talk. That was the email. Very different than, let me prove to you why I'm right. (laughs) And he said, I feel your heart, brother. Let's talk. We had an extraordinary conversation uh, at breakfast the morning before we did some work with a client. And I just laid it all out. Here's here's how I've been showing up. Here's what I've learned. Here's what my commitment is to to do differently. And it changed our relationship, changed the whole dynamic in the firm. So I don't think it's any coincidence that since then we've been like on a pretty good 30, 40, 50% of your growth trajectory. And my relationship with Bill is so much more creative and synergistic. I mean, we're in a company that, you know, that's like our job or our competitive advantage is IP and the quality of our ability to frame that up for leaders. And so to take that and 10 exit uh, in terms of the synergy that's in the conversation is a big deal for the company. And so it changed everything. And what's really interesting is it changed Bill. So I had, when I got clear on my stuff, there was no intention that Bill change. Like that's the power of this more creative, authentic leader is like, Oh, I'm the one that needs to really get clear and change. And then, and then you'll respond kind or not, but I'm not making a demand on Bill. He show up different in the field of our new interaction. He shows up, uh, differently and more effectively, uh, and he's learned a ton from it, and it's changed him. And he'll say that very candidly. So, 
when we do our work as a leader, all things change when we do. And so one of the things we saw in our research and wrote up in scaling leadership is that the, the kind of the first principle of leading an organizational transformation is take it on personally as the leader. Step in and uh, transparently, vulnerably with the radical kind of we call it radical humanity. And uh, like I have the most to learn here. If it's going to change, it's up to me. And the fact that it there's a level of function or dysfunction in the organization, the culture, is a shadow of me, directly connected to me. So what do I need to learn here in order for this organization to go to the next level? And when leaders step in and bleed from that place, everybody is invited to erase their game. Inside of a conversation that now has grace in it, oh, you too? So we're working with a senior team. I won't mention the company name, but senior team, a large uh, company in the United States. A CEO is working an issue, a conflict with the person that he brought in to help transform the organization. So is there kind of to lead the transformation from a uh, like a professional change agent perspective. And uh, they weren't connecting. And there was a real disconnect in their relationship. And it was the whole, like, the whole organizational change effort was being interrupted by all this. And uh, at some point, he said, here's what happens to me when you come at me with that attitude. And it was, you know, kind of attitude, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you're not, you don't get it, kind of attitude that this change agent was coming at him with. He says, I'm back with my dad. Now, this is a family-owned business, so dad was founder. I'm back with my dad as a kid, and I didn't mow the yard perfectly enough. There's one leave left in the yard that I did, that I missed. And so when you come at me with that, I go small, and then I get really, I get angry. It's not okay. And so they were, now you've got a CEO very directly talking about his own reactive conditioning and where it comes from and how it's playing out in the senior team. And everybody knew it was playing out in the senior team because they watched these two go at it. And then they have their role in it. They stand by, they take sides, they run from it. They, the whole team is part of that. Everybody's a part of it. But unless you start to really get to depth with it, you're not going to break through on it. So that was a moment where a leader really stepped in and said, okay, I'm going to show up here about what's really going on for me in this conflict. And it broke open. It broke the whole conversation open in a beautiful way. Them to kind of it really worked it. Well, so that, that, that is powerful and, and cool. And, and so I guess to, to pull this off, requires you know some soul searching some uh, acquiring feedback i guess in, in some ways it's great just now we know what we're looking for in terms right. of where where do you get reactive where do you get defensive where do yep. you feel like a small child any pro tips for how we you know find that and and mitigate it once we do so that's one of the reasons i created the 360 was i was at a much deeper level that gets at this inner game as well as the outer game in the same assessment because i saw this so often with leaders who were championing a significant change effort which they really believed in and when you meet them you go wow this is really an extraordinary leader what a what a vision they have for for the not only the organization but the whole industry 
And uh, then you then I would watch them show up in their old pattern of leadership in ways that completely discounted their change effort. And people would people one layer below them go, well, well he or she's not really serious. And I'll get on mm-hmm. board when they start walking their talk. Yeah. And so any good, well orchestrated Let's get some feedback in the system. How am I really showing up as a leader? What kind of weather am I bringing? How do I create possibilities and open up the space? How do I shut it down? How do I get in my own way? What are the strengths that I have that I want to keep really deploying or I want to leverage further? That's the really rich conversation. And there are many ways to get it. Uh, and, but getting yourself and your senior team, uh, at whatever level of leader you are listening to this, you and the people around you, the people that report to you or around you, how do we get in this conversation where we're learning together how to be more effective, both individually and then how we show up together collectively to lead the organization we're responsible for? And then inside your head, how do you proceed with kind of uh, reprogramming or myth busting, you know, that I am my ideas or I am my results. If, if that's there, I mean, it's been there for a while. How, how do we move beyond? Yeah. Well, this is where most of us lack literacy. We're not ignorant. We lack a literacy. So at some point we had to learn math or arithmetic, not because we were stupid. We just, there's a literacy to it. One and one is two, you know, and so on. And then higher mathematics and algebra or whatever geometry and so on there's literacy in the pathways of one's own transformation and how to be self-transforming and i've talked about two of the key practice well i actually talked about three of them so one is the ability or to listen to your inner game to the self-talk so when you ask me the question well what were you saying to yourself that's the question and getting good at that. Okay, so if uh, this meeting doesn't go well, then we could fall short on results, right? And if we fell short on results, then what's at risk for me? Uh, I'm going to get a lousy review from my boss. Great. So if I get a lousy review, what's at risk for me? If you learn, you can learn to track your fear. So I was working with this mid-level leader. He had really high scores on autocratic leadership. We were talking about it. He said. Do you know what that is or what that looks like? He goes, oh, yeah, I, I'm in a, I, I, I pounce. I, I'm in a meeting. I just take it over. I said, well, why do you take it over? Because it's not going well. And it's, I said, so were you willing to look at that? He said, sure. So I said, well, just before you pounce, how do you feel? What's, what kind of feelings going on in your body? And he described fear, anger, this kind of upsurge of energy in his stump from his gut into his chest and throat like i just feel like and i said good so what's at risk for you if you don't pounce and he went through that we just walked right down to some form of i'm i'm not okay my results define that's a practice and getting good at it and getting the ability to take perspective on your programming is a literacy and most of us haven't learned it. And so when I dropped in, I was practicing that literacy. It doesn't mean that I always get to the bottom of it by any stretch or that I've seen all of my reactivity. Here I am at 60 years old and I've gotten, jeez, 
I've been my ideas. That's been running me my whole life. I didn't realize it. So that's one practice, and it's a breakthrough practice. It's breakthrough. It's like you see the illusion. Underneath fear is and the behaviors that it's running. Underneath it is an illusion. I'm not my ideas. Other people don't define me. I'm not my results. One failure is not the whole game. If people don't like me, that's their issue. <laughs> uh, so when you can start to manage that conditioning that we all have, you can't, can't not have it. The question is, does it have you or do you have it? So when we have it, we're managing it. And then second literacy is the practice of getting clear about what is it I'm really after? What do I want? Most deeply, I had an experience early in my life uh, of this. I was working for our family business. I grew up in a family business, and it was a grain business, and I was running a feed manufacturing plant. So I'm out in the receiving bay, and I'm unloading railroad cars at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm exhausted, and I get finished unloading this car full of railroad car full of wheat, and I get inside, and I'm sweeping out the last little bit in this hopper bottom car, and I got... You know, and I'd sit down in this hopper and I'd just catch my breath. I got my dust mask on and out loud, unreflected, unrehearsed came, I'm not becoming who I am. Hmm. I went, who said that? It was authoritative. It just came out of my mouth. I'm not becoming who I am. And that began for me a process of, okay, what was that? What do I really want my life to be about? And I started what I called my must journal. What must I be about with my life? Uh, in order to live the life I came here to live and not somebody else's. What are my musts? Not my bucket list, goals, objectives, things that would be cool. But fundamentally, what do I need to be about? And I wrote down things that I didn't have a clue. I'm making, I'm making dog food. And I'm going, I want to help people grow and develop emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. I'm like, I'm going to bet the farm on that. What is that? And uh, But I knew it was true because of my experience and my life that been this tension between the, my dad, the engineer, and all of my love of technical stuff and building things. Another must was I must have technical challenge in my life. I, I didn't know how I was going to help people grow and develop personally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and have technical challenge in my life. Well, I have both now mm -hmm. because I have a business that's about as high tech as you get with IT and statistics and surveys. And it's a pretty technical, challenging, uh, rigorously challenging uh, business. And it's all about helping people bring forth their highest and best. And um, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I'm making dog food. So this principle is a constant focus on uh, at one level, at a meta level, what am I here for? And then it's like, okay, what's the life I want to create? Or what's the business or career that I want to create that expresses that? And then it comes down to vision after vision after vision. So, oh, I'm going to create a 360 assessment. I didn't have it. This was going to be a global. I mean, it's grown into quite a global standard. It's a world standard assessment. I didn't have that. I was just passionate about the work and I needed an assessment that went deeper. So I couldn't find one out there. So I went and I made it up. So all of that is the pursuit of a vision that's pulling us forward. And how am I getting in my own way is a constant conversation 
or area of reflection. And if you can do both of those, then you show up more authentically in your conversations, more clean, less reactive, more open, vulnerable, willing to listen, not always having to be right, so on. And then you're much more effective. So those three, uh, what do I want? How do I get in my own way and get good at tracking that to my inner game? And how do I show up then in ways that are more direct, authentic, straight, and an expression, an embodiment or an expression of the organization and the culture I'm trying to leave in my wake as a leader? Those are three that I think are really important. And if the, if you practice that, it will boot up a more creative operating system that, that defines the creative operating system. Oh, Bob, thank you. Now, could you share with us a, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Albert Schweitzer is one of them. I don't know what your destiny will be, but this much I do know. Only those among you who have sought and found how to serve will truly be happy. Thank you. And a favorite book? I'm reading physics for lay people. I don't, I, I'm not a physicist, but I think there's a physics to all this that we're talking about, a physics to consciousness and a physics of leadership. And so I'm fascinated by what they're discovering at the very edge of physics. You tip your toe into physics and it will bust your paradigms. And we need them busted because we're at a time in human history where we must break through with higher order solutions. And, and Einstein said, you know, the solutions to our current problems can't be found from the consciousness that created them. It can only be found from the next higher order of consciousness. And that gets often quoted, but I'm starting to really understand it now from the perspective that I think he was talking about, about how you can access stuff like relativity theory, how you can access higher order uh, knowledge and information. And he talked about that. And so I think we don't have mental models that are at all adequate to who we are as human beings. Our mental models are limiting our creative capacities, our ability to create breakthroughs and ideas and bring in the kind of new forms of government, new forms of technology, new forms of organization and culture that we need both in organizations and globally, to really thrive. And um, so I'm interested in what physics has to teach us as a that can break us out of our limited paradigms of what it means to be a conscious person and how to really create breakthroughs. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? To theleadershipcircle.com. Theleadershipcircle.com is our organization. You go there, you'll see all kinds of stuff that we've been talking about. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Be a learner, not a knower. We're all, I uh, have so much to learn. And uh, if I can get out of my own way and be a learner and be vulnerable enough to not know, ask for help, ask for feedback, that's the best place to lead from. Most of us don't want to go there. we got to always put forward a kind of front of, I've got it all together. And the best leaders drop that and uh, lead from a place of, man, we got a lot to learn here. Me too. Let's get started. Well, Bob, thank you so much for sharing the good stuff. This has been fun. I wish you lots of luck in, in scaling your leadership and your organization and your impact. 
and all the good stuff you're doing. It was really fun. Enjoyed the conversation. I hope your listeners find it valuable. I enjoyed myself. So thank you. You did a great job of drawing this for us. I think it's really cool that Bob Anderson, the guy who created this 360 assessment that's used all over the place, points to, hey, you know what? Turns out that if you just ask people for their feedback, it's going to be pretty darn accurate. I also really dug his questions associated with what's at risk for me and just sitting with that. And how am I getting my own way to really zero in on what maybe needs to be changed to boost your effectiveness? Good stuff from Bob. I hope you dug it. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F489. And if you haven't already shared the show with a friend, I hope you do so. Let them know how they too can be awesome at their jobs. And, and I'll share another podcast with you. I think it's pretty cool. It's called The 5 a.m. Miracle with Jeff Sanders. I had Jeff on the show a couple times because he's got some real good insights, particularly when he has this book called The Free Time Formula with a mindset that all of your time is free time, which is sort of like a paradigm shifter, and you have the potential to choose how you allocate that as opposed to like this mandatory stuff and only a sliver of it is really free time. Anyway, he's got some great episodes solo and with guests. He's interviewed David Allen just recently on his episode releasing September 9th. So he has excellent taste, if I dare say so. So check him out. That's the 5 a.m. Miracle with Jeff Sanders, and I hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.